greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at uh, Center Street Church, those of us uh, here at Center Campus, as well as those uh, joining us from our campus in Northwest Calgary, uh, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. Also want to welcome our online viewers as well. Well, this is a significant weekend in the life of our church as we celebrate with our Northwest Campus the official sword turning ceremony and the beginning of construction of our campus in Bearsburg. Pastor Henry will be speaking at this uh, special event, so I'm covering for him today. And this weekend, we're going to continue our uh, study from the book of First John. Well, when we had this uh, crazy snowstorm last Saturday, I was uh, driving in the midst of that, and there were a few cars on ditches, uh, visibility was poor, it was windy, and the snow was coming down hard. My car radio was on, and ironically, there was a commercial in which a lady says with great excitement, spring is finally here. (laughs) You know, our eight-year-old was sitting on the back seat, voiced his frustration with his words. Are you kidding me? (laughs) You know, I thought about it, how a a script that's uh, written just a few days ago would become so irrelevant because things can change unexpectedly. What made sense when you wrote it can turn to, are you kidding me, in just a matter of days. And yet here we are, reading a letter written by an old apostle of Jesus, roughly 2,000 years ago, and yet it speaks today with such relevance as though this was written for us. And that is the power of the Bible. This is no ordinary book. It's the inspired Word of God and will never get outdated. The apostle John wrote this letter to combat false teachings. Several false teachers in the first century were attempting to split the church and create divisions. And John the Apostle was not going to be silent. John had uh, two nicknames. Uh, He's called the Apostle of Love, but his original nickname was uh, Son of Thunder. And once during Jesus' ministry, John wanted to call down fire from heaven on the villages that were unresponsive to the gospel. And you can see that over the years, uh, John had mellowed down considerably. But now as he addresses the enemies of the gospel, he uses some strong words in his letter to condemn them. While we have to be gentle and loving in our dealings with people, we have to be ruthless when it comes to false teachings. False teachers have an uncanny way of leading people astray. Their sole purpose is to deceive, and they function as agents of Satan. As a result, we have to be constantly on guard against deceptive philosophies that tend to permeate the church with the intent of destroying people's faith. So today, we're going to look at how to stay the course in the midst of these deceptions and what are some safeguards that will keep us on track. I'm going to ask us to stand as we read our text from 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, Even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. 
For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. And no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Lord, that is our heart's desire today, to remain in you, to abide in you, to have an ongoing relationship with you. For we have decided to follow Jesus. Let there be no turning back. So come and speak to us, Lord, today in a fresh way that we will receive this challenge that you're bringing to us, that our hearts will be receptive to what you have to say. And we pray boldly, Lord, that you will change our lives as we walk in obedience to your word. So we give this time to you. Speak to us in the power of your spirit. For we ask this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. John Loftus is an American author and an atheistic philosopher. Interestingly, that's not how his uh, life started. As an 18-year-old, he began to read the Bible with great interest. It all seemed so real, and John claims that his life was radically changed. He began looking for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. He would purposely go hitchhiking so he could share the gospel with others. And as John's passion grew, he went on to earn theological degrees from reputed evangelical seminaries so he could serve in Christian ministry. John eventually became a pastor and a Christian apologist with the objective of defending the faith. But a personal crisis in John's life changed everything, the trajectory in which he was going. It resulted in deep intellectual struggles. And today, John Loftus sings a completely different tune. He's not only turned away from the Christian faith, but he's a vocal atheist who maintains a blog devoted to debunking Christianity. He's written scores of books on the subject and debates with other Christians. Claiming to be a living life to the hilt, John Loftus wants everybody who reads his writings to experience the same freedom that he has found. 
Paul Chamberlain, who teaches Christian apologetics at uh, Trinity Western University, in his book, Why People Stop Believing, claims of a new zealous group of people who are challenging Christianity. And there's a thread that binds this new group together. This is what they share in common. They all are former Christians. Some of them former pastors, theologians, those who've been to seminary. But now they are hardcore atheists who deny the existence of God. They're critics of the Bible who work hard to disprove what they once held to be the truth. And Paul Chamberlain observes that this new group of skeptics have two specific characteristics. Firstly, when they were part of the Christian community, they were leaders either in the church or in academic settings or both. And secondly, now that they have left the faith, they are not content to be on their own, but they exist to persuade other Christians to join them. Just in case we think this is a a modern-day challenge, it has been the case all through church history right from the first century. So 2,000 years ago, the Apostle John wrote about this very issue of people who once claimed to be part of the Christian community who walked away from the faith. And not just that, they were now attempting to lure others as well. John calls these people antichrists. A text opens with these words in verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have come. And this is how we know it is the last hour. A question people often ask is, are we living today in the last days? And the answer is absolutely yes. You know, biblically speaking, starting from the early church until the time Jesus returns, this entire time period falls under the category of the end times. The last hour began during John's time and has been continuing in intensity ever since. And John states that the evidence of the fact that we live in the last hour is the Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have come. Now, we know the Antichrist, or the man of lawlessness that Apostle Paul calls him in Thessalonians, or the beast in the book of Revelation, they all reflect that final end-time figure, that person who will present himself as a false savior and receive the worship and allegiance of the world. This will happen at the very end of human history. John affirms that there is a final antichrist who is coming, but at the same time, he claims that we also have many antichrists here already. These antichrists are also human instruments who act like forerunners of the antichrist who is to come. And behind these human figures are the invisible forces, the principalities and powers that are warring against God's kingdom. So the antichrists are agents in the hand of the enemy who oppose the gospel and the kingdom of God. Now look at what John's definition of Antichrist is. Verse 22, 
Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. So anybody who denies that Jesus is the Christ, who doesn't embrace the full identity of Jesus as the only Lord and Savior, are Antichrists, for they are in opposition to Jesus. And that's what the false teachers in the first century were guilty of. They were diminishing the value and the worth of Jesus by questioning his identity. And they were persuading other believers from following the teachings of the church and caused them to stumble. So that's why the Apostle John is giving a dire warning here in verse 26. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. The Antichrists were not passive, but active in their work of destruction. Their aim was to take others with them. And let me tell you, the spirit of the Antichrist, the, anti the attitude of the Antichrist is all around us. There are satanic forces seen behind the system, philosophy, and the way of thinking of our culture. And they possess the power to deceive people and lead them astray. Such influences are in our workplaces, they are in our neighborhoods, they are in our governments, they are in our school system, in the media, and even in some churches. And they exist to take us on a spiritual detour away from Jesus. That is their job description. So the question is, how do we stay the course in light of such sustained spiritual oppositions? Do we even stand a chance against these powerful forces? The Apostle John's intent is not to be fear-mongering, but he's giving us practical support to help us walk in victory over the Antichrist. The apostle in this text gives us at least three safeguards that will help us to not be deceived but stay on course. By employing these safeguards, we can stay grounded, we can keep the faith and finish this race of discipleship strong. Here's the first safeguard. Safeguard number one, the Christian community. You know, the clear safeguard that God has set up to protect us from the influence of the Antichrist and false teachings is the Christian community. You know, as believers, we don't live our lives in isolation. You know, a common question young people today ask is, why do I need to be part of a church? Why can't I just follow Jesus on my own? You know, there are numerous reasons I can give why you need to be part of a church, why you need to belong to a community of other believers. But let me give you just one reason today. It is to safeguard ourselves from false teachings. A private faith is gullible to heresies. But a community of believers offer the gift of discernment. You will always have false teachers and false teachings around you, but the crucial question is, do you have the ability to discern them? And the answer is, yes, we do as a community. One of the greatest defense against false teachings 
is the Christian community of believers. Over the years, I've come across many people who've been led astray by false teachings. A lot of them have to do with the internet. And someone starts watching YouTube videos of self-proclaimed prophets or teachers who claim that they have received a new revelation. And there are others who turn into skeptics when they start researching something on the internet and they begin doubting the intellectual claims of our faith. Now, research is good and is not a threat to our faith. Our faith has stood the intellectual test of time. But you need to know there are hundreds and thousands of blogs and websites out there all devoted to obliterate your faith. And I tell you, the internet is a terrible place to go to with your doubts. You need to exercise caution. If you're facing spiritual doubts as a Christian, Google is not your spiritual friend, nor should it be the first place to go to. Rather, bring your doubts to the Christian community. And I can say this from my own experience, from what I have observed. People get sucked into heresies when they are living their lives in isolation. When there's nobody to keep them accountable, no one with whom they can share their the spiritual and intellectual struggles, they are like sitting ducks for the enemy. Yet another thing to note is false teachers cannot thrive in an authentic Christian community without being called out. It's not long before their teachings come to light. And that's exactly what John is saying here about the false teachers in his church. Here's verse 19. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Remaining in fellowship with other believers is one of the hallmarks of the Christian life. And in this case, the counterfeit Christians departed from the fellowship. That was the very proof that they were not Christians in the first place. John says if they had belonged to us, they would have never departed from us. Their leaving has simply unmasked them. It showed their true colors. The Christian community is a safeguard. It helps you from being deceived by false teachings. And let me tell you, if you're going through spiritual doubts in your life, this is not an uncommon experience. But My only advice to you is to not to distance yourself from other Christians. For God can use this period of doubts in your life to do a deep work in you and bring you out stronger. But when you're in the midst of that situation where you feel like you're unshaky in your faith, There's nothing like having the support of other brothers and sisters in Christ who are praying for you and encouraging you and spurring you on in your spiritual journey. Here's the second safeguard. Safeguard number two. The anointing of the Spirit. Look at verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One And all of you know the truth. The word anointing comes at least four times in our text. When we say Jesus Christ, 
The word Christ or Christos in Greek is a title. It means the anointed one. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit. He always operated under the fullness of the Spirit. He carried out his ministry in the power of the Spirit. And now this is the distinguishing mark of all Christ's followers. We are also anointed by the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that anointed Jesus has now been given to us as a free gift. He is alive and he is active in our life. Now, while in the Old Testament, the ministry of the Spirit was reserved for certain individuals, in the New Testament, we see that the work of the Holy Spirit is involved in all believers' lives. This is not just a privilege for a select, exclusive, elite club, but at the very moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we all receive the anointing of God's Spirit. The ministry of the Spirit is the birthright of every Christian. The Apostle John is using a play on words here. The antichrists are the anti-anointed ones. Even though they claim that they have a special revelation, they don't have the truth because their anointing is false. But Christians who have the true anointing have been given access to the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and he guides us into all truths. Look at verse 27 again, what John is saying there. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. John is clearly saying here, our safeguard against false teachings is the anointing of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our absolute authority capable of teaching us. And that is why, as true Christians, when you hear an explicit false teaching, there's something inside of you that doesn't resonate with what you're hearing. You feel uncomfortable, out of sync. That's the spirit bearing witness with your spirit that what you're hearing is not conforming to the truth. Now, this Bible verse can be misunderstood. I don't think John is saying we don't need any human teachers at all. And what we're doing this morning would be an exercise in futility. In fact, John himself is teaching his church through this letter. And there are other Bible passages that commend the significant role teachers play in the church. So we have to place what John is saying here in the context of this letter. What John is saying here is the early church didn't need any more new teaching around the identity of Jesus than what they have already heard and believed. They certainly didn't need the anti-anointed ones to come and teach them about Jesus. The apostles had done an excellent job of passing on the message that Jesus is the Messiah, the God incarnate, human and divine. So no further teaching was required in this specific matter. And we also need to know, while we have human teachers, 
The Spirit of God has a distinguished teaching ministry in the church. The Holy Spirit alone can make the Scripture come alive in a person's heart. He alone does the illuminating work. No human teacher can do that. The Holy Spirit authored the Bible. So it makes sense that as the author, he reveals the meaning behind what he wrote. And the Spirit of God is our safeguard against false teachings and satanic distortions. He gives us understanding as we read the Bible. See, this was a significant aspect of the Reformation. Prior to the Reformation, the common people did not have access to the Bible because of this assumption that only a few distinguished people can interpret the Bible. But the Reformation dispelled this notion that the Bible is beyond the understanding of the common person. You don't need high churchmen to teach you Scripture, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, a common person can open the Bible and understand its message and benefit from what it says. Now, hear the words of Jesus in John 14, 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is true today. You can count on this promise of Jesus. The Holy Spirit guides us in the path of truth by his anointing. And I can share this with my own personal life, how grateful I am to the Spirit of God for guiding me in the path of truth. Because when I started off as a brand new Christian, I felt strongly in my heart that I needed to start attending a church. The problem was I had no idea of the various denominations, no clue. I didn't even know that there were cults and false teachers out there masquerading as Christians. You know, without the guidance of the Spirit, I could have easily landed in the wrong church, and I shudder to think about the consequences of that. There were some mainline churches I could have gone to where they would have told me, why are you converting to the Christian faith? Just remain a Hindu. All religions are the same. There were cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses, very active in the area of the city I come from in India. And if they had a sniff that here is a naive young Christian, they could have easily snared me. You know, that's why I'm so grateful to the ministry of the Holy Spirit for God guided me to the right church. And more importantly, as I read the Bible, the Holy Spirit made those truths come alive. Clearly, he was my teacher, teaching me all things that I needed to know and kept me from being misled. The anointing of the Spirit is God's gift to every Christian to keep you in the path of truth. Now here's the third safeguard. Safeguard number three. The gospel of Christ. The gospel is the foundation of our Christian beliefs. Now hear what John is saying here in verses 24 and 25. As for you, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. 
If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. The Apostle John is clearly instructing his church to hold on to the message that they heard from the beginning. This original message preached by the apostles hasn't changed and it will never, ever change. As eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection, the apostles were commissioned by God to be ambassadors of this good news. And this good news is for all people across the span of history that God has provided salvation for lost sinners available as a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ. This gospel will never change. Christian theology is anchored on Jesus' work and the apostolic testimony. So if anyone brings a message that adds to this gospel or improvises this gospel or contradicts the gospel, that message is from the Antichrist. So when Joseph Smith comes and says, the angel Moroni came to me with this new revelation on gold plates, our response is, keep the gold plates to yourself. The gospel is all sufficient. I don't need any extra revelation. When the Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door and they say, Jesus is Michael the archangel, and they contradict the Bible and the apostolic testimony, our response to them is, your gospel is false. Jesus is not a created angelic being. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, worthy of our highest praise, worship, and adoration. When anybody comes to you and says, here, I have this new breakthrough teaching. You don't need the gospel. You need this. Our response is, no, thank you. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. There is no substitute for this good news. Nothing even comes close. See, the gospel isn't just a set of truths for non-Christians to be saved. Christians need the gospel every single day, every waking moment of our life. We are called to be gospel-centered, rooted, and established in the good news. For by believing in the gospel, we remain in fellowship with the Father and the Son and share in the promise of eternal life. Let me read verses 24 and 25 again for us. As for you, See that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. We remain in the Father and in the Son when we keep on trusting the good news, when we keep on believing. We hold on to this gospel message until the very end when we will see Jesus face to face and receive the promise of eternal life that he has given to us. As I bring this message to a close, I want to speak directly to some of you who have either left the Christian faith or you're contemplating on leaving the faith. 
And when I hear about people like John Loftus and meet others like him who once claimed that they were Christians but don't want anything to do with Jesus today, I'm extremely saddened. My heart grieves for you. You may claim that you're living life to the hilt, but you have squandered the plans and purposes of God for your life. You have no idea on what you have missed out. The person you could have become had you followed God's plan for your life. Your life today exemplifies the greatest of all tragedies. The Bible has some stern warnings for those who commit apostasy, the act of leaving the faith. Hear these solemn words from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. If you have walked away from Jesus, I don't need to say anything more. These verses say it all. I pray, I pray that you will swallow your pride and choose to return, for your heart will be restless until it finds its rest in God. And I want to speak now to those of you who are feeling that persuasion to leave the faith from the path of following Jesus. You haven't made that decision yet, but you are thinking in that direction. There is a struggle happening inside of you. There is an inner turmoil. And that is a sign of warfare. The antichrists are aligning themselves against you to lead you astray, to take you on a detour. And I want you to stand strong and lean on the safeguards that God has provided us. With God's help, with the help of His Spirit, You can stay the course and reach the finish line. You don't have to quit the Christian race. And I want you to be bold and talk to one of our pastors here at the church. Don't keep your struggles to yourself. We are here to support you, to help you, to walk with you, and to connect you to a community who will understand your struggles and help you through this phase of doubts. Rely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit because if you are a true Christian, the Spirit of God dwells in you and you have access to Him and He will lead you to the truth. And lastly, stand strong on the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus that you are not too far gone, but the Savior's arms are open wide to receive you back into the fold. I'm going to ask all of us to stand right now. Now, If you're a follower of Christ, I know that there are people that you personally know of who walked away from the faith. They once professed to be Christians, 
And today, they want nothing to do with Jesus. I want to give this time for us to intercede for those people. And you also heard the challenge about writing the names of people on stones. Maybe you need to come forward at the end of the service and write their names. Because that's your way of expressing dependence on God and also committing to pray for them. There are some of you here, you are in a season of doubt. Whatever may be the cause, maybe it's a, a spiritual problem, a moral problem, an intellectual problem. But you know that there is a warfare raging inside of you. And this is a time for you to ask God for help. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So hold on to that promise and know that the, even though the Antichrist may array against us, they don't have the power to conquer us. So stay strong on the safeguards that God has given to us. Let's make it a moment of silence now and allow the Spirit of God to take this message home deep into our hearts. Let's maintain a moment of silence and after that I'll close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are indeed worthy of our highest adoration and praise. Thank you for reaching out to us. That every one of us here, we were once living in darkness, but now you have brought us into your marvelous light. Once we were alienated and far from you, but now we are children of God, adopted into your own family. Thank you, God, for the good news of the gospel, this unchanging message that brings hope no matter where we are in our life. I pray today for each one of us here as we have made this commitment to follow Jesus. May we follow you to the very end. Keep us, Lord, from stumbling that we will deny ourselves, take up the cross daily, and follow you to the very end. Help us to run this race with perseverance, not to be detracted from this path that we've been on, but to stay the course and stick to it. Grant us the disciplines that we need so our eyes will always be fixed on you, Jesus. Our confidence is not in our ability to run, but in your faithfulness. The fact that you hold us in the palm of your hand and nobody can snatch us out of your hand. So may we rest in that assurance. I pray for anybody here today feeling the pull of the world, of the enemy, to leave this path of discipleship. 
I pray that, Lord, today you will get their attention, that you will come to their rescue, that you will surround them with people who will speak truth into their life, that the anointing of the Spirit in them will come alive in a fresh new way, and they will continue to hold on to the unchanging good news of the gospel of Christ. Even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Well, if you want to talk to somebody, there are prayer partners and pastors here who will be happy to spend time with you. God bless you.